everybody, and welcome to the Scott Seven Podcast. Uh, today, we're going to be uh, discussing a great topic. It's going to be a little bit different than what we normally do, as we're going to kind of talk a little bit more of theology and biblical interpretation. Uh, so uh, joining me on this episode is my co-host, Micah Current. Micah, welcome back to the show. I, I don't know if I should say welcome back to the show. You've been on here since it's getting close to a year, almost a year. You've been I want to say a year. I want to say a year or close to it, or I don't. I don't yeah. remember when. I know I did like a few sporadic episodes at first, and then I kind of yeah. just dove in head first, and I dove I into think. the shallow end and hit my hit my head in the bottom of the pool, and and then you never left. <laughs> I never left. You're still at the bottom of the pool. Someone needs to give you CPR. I'm trying to make myself. I'm trying to make my way up, and I can't do it because you just keep pushing me back down. And you're like, you're gonna get Who's... baptized again and again. <laughs> And again, or who's the guy? Who's the, the, the guy? Father, who's the guy in the sandlot where he went down to the bottom so that the lifeguard could blow? What was that character's name? Oh, that's 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 no. you. You're that guy you're at the bottom of the pool. You're waiting for someone to scoop you out of the Scott Seven podcast pool and bring me back to life. My, my wife would be very upset with me that I don't name uh, because that's one of our favorite movies and um, kind of a sidebar like. Every 4th of July, for whatever random reason, we watch The Sandlot and we watch Independence Day. Those two movies we watch every single year on the 4th of July. But are um, talking about a genre switch. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's just, we started, you know, back from our, um, you know, our dating days and, you know, when we were engaged and stuff. His name was Squints. Mm, ah, Squints. In the movie. Um, you know, back into, our, you know, our dating days until we were engaged and stuff like that. That was just kind of a tradition that we, we were sitting at home one year for the fourth of july we didn't have any plans and we just watched those movies and so those are two of our favorites so good yeah wonderful wonderful yeah so, anyway it's great to be back yeah it is great <laughs> it's great to be back in the house of the scott simon podcast <laughs> oh goodness it's is it snowing over by you mike because it's starting to snow right here in columbus uh i you know i texted you earlier today our to your listeners, our schedule is all jacked up. We tend to record early on the, in the morning on Mondays, and uh, I had some meetings. You had some scheduling conflicts, and uh, I was on my way home, and like I hit like a little uh, what's the thing where you just get a burst of snow, a squall, or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, why is it snowing so much? And then like it cleared up like 15 minutes later. So you're probably getting what I got earlier. Oh, okay. All right. Well, good thing I don't have to go out today. So. <laughs> And I could stay home with sick kids. That's my day today. So, uh, speaking of uh, sickness and sick kids and everything else, uh, weird stories or stories gone wild. Micah, you said you had a story, and you said it's actually a good story. So, we'll just let you go right at it. You know, now that I think about it, I don't know that it's it's good nor bad nor crazy nor stories gone wild. I just think that it was kind of an interesting happenstance. But um, okay, uh, I've you know, I shared on your show that we, uh, that I've, uh, went back to school. I started going back, uh, last fall, uh, studying another master's program. And, um, uh, during that time, my professor, not my professor, my advisor, my academic advisor, uh, went on medical leave. And so I was actually assigned a new academic advisor a couple of weeks ago. And I reached out to him and I said, Hey, I would love to touch base with you, kind of see where I'm at with the program. And there's been some, uh, some transitions within the program that I'm in because they're um, 
they're getting rid of the program I'm in, but they're transitioning the same program into another program with a different title and uh, they're making it completely online. So um, some of my classes are online. Some of them are not. Some of their, you know, in class, but like on a Zoom, which we call it, you know, hybrid, um, which is just online learning. And then we have asynchronous, which is all online, all on our own, where we don't meet, don't have, <clears throat> don't have a certain time, excuse me. Uh, each week. So anyway, I, I met with this guy and he was, he's a, um, a professor and chair at the, at the university where I work. And um, I spoke with him briefly over email and said, Hey, I'd love to get together and, and connect about my program and just want to see where we are and just uh, to get me finished and what's kind of the game plan, you know, moving forward. And so we jumped on a zoom call um, last week and he uh, was like, well, tell me about your, you know, tell me your story. Tell me, you know, about your upbringing and, I was, like, I was a pastor's kid and um, I went to undergrad in West Virginia and I studied music and went to grad school and I went to seminary the first time and got ordained in the church of God and, you know, all these things. And he was like, well, funny story. We have a lot in common. I was like, really? And he's like, well, I'm a, you know, I'm PK too. And I went to Duke theological seminary. And so we got to talking about it and he was like, do you still do ministry actively? And I was like, well, I guess it really just depends, you know, on, your you know your definition of ministry and and you know my like preaching in a pulpit every week or am i you know on staff of the church and i said no and um he he shared with me that before he got into higher education that he did pastoral ministry for for 10 years and then during that time his dad uh was 55 years old and had served the church for you know his whole life and suddenly dropped dead of a heart attack Jeez. And his um, his story to me was that he stopped doing the ministry because he didn't want to happen to him. You know, he didn't want what happened to his dad to happen to him. Uh, and he he really believes that the stress and the fatigue of ministry was a result of his heart attack. Wow. And um, I I shared with him, you know, briefly about just kind of my transition from being in a, in a, in a full-time ministry role, even to a part-time ministry role to, you know, podcasting with you regularly teaching leadership focus and, and doing some consulting and coaching for churches. Uh, how my, my role has kind of transitioned and how I've really just focused on higher ed at the moment with the stuff on the side with ministry and instead of the other way around. And he was like, you know, there's something to be said about that. He said that his faith not been altered. He still actively serves in his church. He still, um, you know, very much believes in God and practices his, you know, his salvation and his faith. And um, he was just like, I, I just don't want what happened to my dad to happen to me because of the stress that goes along with that. I want to live a long and healthy life and I can still serve the church without serving the church, which we could probably do a podcast on that at another <laughs> time. But it's like, yeah. no, I mean, seriously, like just the idea of you can serve a church and not be paid to do so. Yeah. And, um, it was just fasc fascinating. Like we were on the call for like an hour and we were talking about school and stuff, but like just to hear his story about, you know, I'm not mad at God. I'm mad at the church. I served the church. I was in a role. I was in a pastor's role. And then my dad died of a heart attack serving the church. And I don't want the same thing to happen to me as a result of that. So, yeah, I don't know if that's weird or if that's <laughs> necessarily yeah. a story has gone wild, but it's more of a, more of a reminder that, that ministry isn't easy and ministry yeah. is a, a stressful situation. It takes a toll on you and your family and, and the people around you. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's, I think there's something to be said about that. And yeah, so yeah, that is kind of, I mean, and I think that's the thing, like people, it's kind of like one of those weird things where I would hear people talk about how they worked at a job and then they finally left. And this is not just ministry related, just anything. And it's like, they leave this job and they just feel like that, you know, they go to the doctor and their blood pressure is back to normal and they are getting off blood pressure medication or getting off because they were on this medication because a lot of it was due to the high stress of a job that they were at, that they had to take medicine to kind of keep their, and then once they left the job and went somewhere else where they weren't, you know, happen to take like sleeping pills or blood pressure medicine or any of that stuff. It was like, oh, wow, like you don't really know how much a job can affect you or especially a culture of a job can affect you until you're somewhere that's not chaotic. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's, is fascinating in, um, for me, my weird, my, my story gone wild was I'm trying to do more like menu planning and trying to create, um, healthy food and stuff since I'm on this uh, fitness program. So I actually went through a couple cookbooks, sat down, went through them, wrote stuff up, had my kids get involved. So then I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the grocery store. Now, usually where I live, we have a couple of Kroger's and most of them are kind of in the not so nice areas of where I'm close to. And the only grocery store we actually have is a Market District Express which they have food, but they definitely don't have all your options of what you can get. So I usually only go there if I have to like get some supplement stuff. But for the most part, I usually, if I'm doing a big shopping trip, I'm going to like one of the Kroger's either in Columbus or or Whitehall and um, decided to go to Columbus and go out there to the Kroger and got my got my bags, got my reusable bags. I'm going out and I'm just shopping and I'm getting stuff. And occasionally I can't find everything, which is fine. But out of everything I had, I think there's like four items I couldn't find. So now I'm getting my way up towards the checkout lanes. And I see that all the cashiers, there's cashiers working, but all their lights are off. They turn off all the lights. So that means if the light's not on, that means they're either going to take a break or something. So that's it. So once they finish up people out of their queue, then they're going to leave. But since there was nobody working to cashiers, everybody got redirected to the self-checkout lines. And I'm in a self-checkout line and I have a whole cart of groceries and I have all these reusable bags and I'm not in a place where I can remove the plastic bag racks to just put my bags on there. So literally I have to put my bag between the shopping cart and the thing just so the scale will register. And even that, every time it says assistance on the way, and this lady had to keep coming to my register, clear everything out so that I could still scan stuff. And it was like five or six times and I think just me checking out my groceries probably took a good half an hour just because of all that. And I was just like, what in the world? Like, I was so confused because I'm sitting here to everybody. And it's not like a huge line in the self-checkout line. And you see these cashiers sitting by the registers without lights on. And finally, one of them turns their light on. So people start going over there. And I'm thinking, what in the world happened? Like, why? <laughs> why did you do that? Like, I don't know. Like, it was... I I still don't understand why they decided because you had three cashiers working those 
slots, but they just have their lights off. And anytime anyone go up, they're like, sorry, I'm closed. I don't know, man. Like, there's no explanation, <laughs> but just so bizarre. The other, the other day we went, uh, we were at Menards and, you know, close to where we live. And uh, we were standing in line and it felt like everybody in the store flocked to the checkout lines all at once. It was just kind of a strange happenstance. And we were standing in line. I think there might have been one or two people ahead of us, which is not a huge deal. But the but the one of the workers in Menards was like, we're going to open up line five. And so everybody block, you know, ran to line five. And I'm like, I'm just going to stay put because it's going to go quicker for me to just to stay put rather than, you know, run over there. But like, it's just if y'all would have just opened those up to begin with because you saw all these people coming, that it wouldn't be such a traffic jam right now. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, I would understand that. Like, I understand, like, if you're in a line and there's only one cashier and they open up something and people move, I do the same thing. I just stay in the lane. But the fact that I had to be in a self-checkout lane where there's nowhere for me to put my reusable bags and I had to just constantly. And I mean, I think I felt more bad for the lady who had to keep clearing out my register so that I could keep going because it was just like. I'm sorry. Like she's trying to deal with everyone else going through this. So I felt like a lot of the stress was on her managing these eight self checkout registers for her, for all these people who kept having these issues or problems because no one, because an actual person would not allow them, whether it was a manager, or they just decided to turn off their light. Like they did not want to deal with customers going through their lane. Like, I don't, I don't know. I just don't get it. So I don't know. I told Laura, like if I ever do a big shopping, I'm probably going to like, drive like 20 30 minutes somewhere else to go shopping to just do a big shopping trip because it was just it was just a nightmare i felt like i was there for like literally i think i was there for two and a half hours just with me shopping trying to find stuff and then scanning everything it was ridiculous um so today our topic is we're going to be actually look to having a uh, more of a biblical interpretation theological discussion about um interpretation biblical interpretation and I know Mike has been very hesitant about discussing this because a lot of it, he's just like, I don't, I don't understand. So hopefully I can kind of maybe share. Maybe no, maybe. I just didn't understand the the way you wanted to go with this topic. And I know that the word of God is very sacred and we want to take it yeah, seriously. So exactly. Uh, I just want to follow your lead. And it wasn't that I was, I was, I guess I was more intimidated because I'm just like, you know, where are we going with this conversation? But yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah. So, okay. Well, no, that, that made, that gives me more insight too. So, and I think that's the, I think that's the key word that we could really sum up our topic is the sacredness of the text. Um, so to kind of put it in perspective, years ago, I was doing a Bible study and we we're going through the book of Isaiah. And every time we were reading the book of Isaiah, we would get to a certain chapter or a certain passage. And immediately after we read the passage, the first thing that would come out of everyone's now is like, oh yeah, they're talking about Jesus. They're talking about, he's talking about Jesus. And I sit there and I go, well, wait a minute. I think it's important for us to understand the text from its original audience, because again, they don't know who Jesus is. Isaiah's writing to people who are in captivity uh depending on where there's you know depending on where in isaiah but you know he's writing to the israelites and depending on what chapter or what passage we're looking at we either were israel's in jerusalem before they get taken to captivity they're in captivity and then you get towards the later isaiah which kind of is them returning back home and 
when you look at that passage, every time it's like, oh yeah, they're talking about Jesus. I'm like, and it always confused me because I think from my training with being doing hermeneutics in an undergrad level, doing hermeneutics on a master's level. And now uh, this um, term, I'm doing hermeneutics on a doctorate level. It, it, I keep running into the same question, which is, you know, do we need to, when we're reading the Old Testament, do we need to always throw Jesus into the mix? And why can't we just like, when we're reading the text, why can't we just read it as, you know, the Jews read it? How do they understand it? And then after we understand it from that perspective, from the original hearers, then see how does Jesus bring fulfillment to the Old Testament text? Because kind of my mindset is if we're, oh, well, I'll say this and I'll let you go into it. But I think part of my mindset is if we just automatically throw Jesus into it, are we losing some of the richness that the Old Testament writers can bring to it for that particular audience. And then we kind of miss the really big fulfillment of how Jesus fulfills that Old Testament. Does that make sense, Micah? It does. And sorry, you cut out for a minute. So like, that's why I said what oh, I said. Okay. I, I was trying to say, or I was trying to cut in and say something, but like it cut out and I wasn't sure if you're finished. I apologize. Oh. Um, my couple of thoughts there. So I, I think, yes, you can read the Old Testament text without thinking of Jesus, the son of God. Um, Because much of the Old Testament is more God and the development of God and God Yahweh of the protector of Israel and and the, the story and the history behind, you know, what went on in Israel and what went on in, um, you know, even stuff as early as Genesis, Exodus and, you know, all those, the Pentateuch is, you know, what we call it, right? Mm-hmm. The first five books of the, the Old Testament and, you know, the, the law of Moses and, and all those things. And then we get in more in, into more of the historical um, context with Joshua moving forward and the wars of Israel and all the things and how uh, unreliable uh, Israel was with, with their relationship with Yahweh or God. And um, it's not until you really get into the conversation of the minor prophets you know, with, with Micah and um, even Isaiah, for that matter, you know, talking and predicting uh, and prophesying about the, the birth of the coming Savior uh, being Jesus. And so um, the two answers that I have for that is that, um, one, yes, you can read it because there's not a lot of meat about the coming Savior of Jesus, except for in his minor prophet conversations in those books in that text in that area of the text of the old testament and then two you can look at it for through the lens of okay yahweh god is preparing us for this moment god is 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 laying it on the hearts of the minor prophets uh towards the end of the old testament saying hey there is a savior he's coming he's going to come save the world and you can look at it uh through the lens of okay you're preparing us for what's yet to come and there are so many things that um, you can talk about in the Old Testament, you know, from war to, to scandals, to slavery, to um, the kingdoms that have, you know, come and gone. But at the end of the day, you know, God is setting us up for the birth of the son who's going to come to the world and save us and, 
and live the life as is the second part of that trinity and the second part of that story and it it you know we you and i are regular uh co-hosts on on the nerd talk podcast with jordan but like in a lot of movies you have these moments where it's a prequel and it sets up what's going to happen and what's going to come where you have a, a movie that there's a cliffhanger and you're kind of left on on the edge of your seat like why did you stop it there and so i think that's what the old testament does is it sets us up for a win knowing that jesus is coming um and i don't know if that's anywhere close to to where you were going with this conversation but i mm-hmm. think that like it's i you know i went to seminary and i preferred old testament history over new testament history because i found it fascinating I found mm-hmm. I found the Old Testament just so much more fascinating because of the stories and the characters and the the folks that were in the Old Testament and the wars they went through and the different uh, you know reigns of the kingdoms whether it was Solomon or Saul or David you know like all these people had a story to tell and you don't really get that much in the New Testament like you get Jesus you get Paul. You get the Pauline letters um, and you get, you get some of Peter, you know, you get some of James and John, but other than that, it's, there's not the meat that you get in the old Testament. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. And I I don't know if that's anywhere that you were going with this conversation, but I I think that's, no, I think, I think you're good. And I think that's the, and I think that's kind of the point because the old Testament itself has such a richness in Mm -hmm. from its history to, how it's written in the Hebrew to to everything. And I feel like as Christians, when we approach the Old Testament with the lens that, well, here's Jesus, here's Jesus, here's Jesus. And we want to kind of throw Jesus around in the Old Testament like he's just always been there. Um, and we're just going to kind of throw it in that mix. I feel like we kind of lose we kind of lose some of the intricate details and maybe some of the um, important elements in the old Testament that really pop when we do begin to read some of these scriptures, some of the old Testament scriptures from its original context. And then once we see again, the fulfillment of Jesus, how that kind of heightens it. And I, I mean, it's like, um, I guess the best way for me to describe it, it's like when, like I recently, I just made some ice cream. I have a ministry where when I have one of my students, whether it's a kid or a youth, when it's their birthday, I make them ice cream. And one of the students wanted a strawberry ice cream, which I make a nice strawberry ice cream. I roast the strawberries. And then I also add a fourth cup of buttermilk to my mix, um, to the ice cream mix. And what it does is when you roast the strawberries and you add a little bit of the tartness of the butter of the uh, buttermilk, it allows the strawberry flavor to pop. It like explodes. And I feel like if we just decide, hey, I'm going to pour a whole batch of buttermilk into this ice cream, it's it's it may taste good, but it's not going to have that flavor if I just add a little bit of it to what's already there, which is strawberries and cream that's going to make those elements pop. Um, I feel like when we talk about Jesus, it's almost like 
and I mentioned this in a text to you, it's almost like if I'm going to go and I'm going to watch a movie I haven't seen before, like, you know, I, have, I still haven't seen Black Panther, the second Black Panther movie yet. So the I wonder idea- why. Well, there's a fight at the AMC. Oh, and- <laughs> I know, I know. I was I was joking because you shared that on your on our Stories Gone Wild segment when we did that up the week that you were going to try to go see that. Yeah. So it would be like if I go to see Black Panther, I go sit in the theaters and somebody tells me how the movie ends. Am I going to enjoy the movie? Yeah, I'm going to enjoy the movie, but I'm not going to enjoy it because I now know what's coming. Right. So I think a lot of times with the Old Testament, when we're always throwing Jesus, if we're reading in Isaiah 53 and we're just automatically going to throw Jesus in there, I feel like we we do get that excitement. We do get that pop. We do get the enjoyment. But it could be so much greater if we actually understand Isaiah 53 in its original context. When we understand it through that point of view, if we put ourselves in the roles of the Israelites who are right now in a state of despair and desperation and they're just feeling so low. And then here Isaiah brings this proclamation of the Lord to the people that there is going to be somebody and it is through their stripes that we are healed. And we can see that as the suffering servant and we can say, Oh, well that's Israel. But then it's like, okay, well, here's the fulfillment of that through Jesus Christ, who did take our stripes, who did take our sins, who did take our, oppression and yet fulfilled it in a much bigger way than I don't think Isaiah could have imagined at that time. And I think the the pop of it is going to be so extraordinary if we understand things, if we understand that text originally first, and then Jesus becomes that additional layer that we throw onto it. Yeah, I think you know going with the movie reference that you just you know mentioned about like the isaiah 53 passage is almost like a movie trailer like a teaser trailer it's it's Mm -hmm. it's forecasting what's yet to come um and like i said earlier when we we opened uh, with the topic i you know you don't get much in the way of you know jesus in the old testament as much as you get of yahweh which is kind of the you know if you look at god's word as a you know more of a broad conversation you know in the beginning was god and the word was god and the word was with god like you have that opening monologue of, of, of god the father god yahweh and then you have the middle which is the son the, the birth of jesus the the man who lived fully sinless blameless and divine only to die for our sins to to, to set up eternity with him you know setting up the Holy spirit and completing the Trinity. Um, I just look at the, the Isaiah passage and, and, and other minor prophets, you know, prophesying the birth of Jesus um, as kind of a segue into the new Testament. And Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, if I could go on a, on a, on a side tangent for a second, like Mm -hmm. the um, just, I, I love the old Testament. And like I said, you know, I, when I was in seminary earlier, um, you know, when I, when I mentioned that I was in seminary earlier, like I, I had two really, really good old Testament professors. And one of them was, uh, Dr. Lozano. And he, um, he was from Columbia. He was a short little Colombian man. And he, one of the first things he said, he was like, you're going to love this class because there are two, two things about the old Testament that you need to know. He's like, there's a lot of bloods and guts and war. 
and there's a lot of sex. And like he just said, there's war and there's sex. And I'm like, well, this is going to be an interesting class. But like, I never really as a kid or as a student in youth ministry or young adult ministry, never really thought of the Old Testament through the lens of the war and the bloodiness and the, the, vul- the vulgarity that went along with, with the Old Testament. Um, and I learned real quick what a concubine was, right? Like because of, you know, Saul's story and how he had, you know, I don't know, what was it, like 1,300 concubines and, you know, like 400 wives. And it, it, it's just incredible just to go through. Like, granted, there are some really boring parts of the Old Testament, like numbers. Like, let's read the first part of numbers when they do the, you know, do the census. And, like, you, you really have no idea what's going on. So I wouldn't recommend... <laughs> if you're a, a brand new believer starting in the book of numbers, but um, the old Testament to me is really um, just. A f- really a fascinating conversation. I mean, it's just, we should do a podcast on old Testament history, but like, it's just to me, you know, I love how the Old Testament sets up Jesus. Like, and we talk about it in movies and talk about it in other things that we talk about in other conversations and other circles. But it's like, you know, you finish a video game, Scott. You love video games. And so, like, you finish a video game, and at the end of the video game, like, oh, that's it? Well, yeah, because you completed the story. But, like, there are some video games where you realize that there's going to be another video game that's kind of a sequel to that. You know, there's going to be other you know, iterations and versions of that. And that's what I think like what's, what's so great about God's word. It's like you have different translations and you can continue to read the story and get different translations and different interpretations. And, um, you know, I really enjoy the, you know, I pulled up the Isaiah 53 passage, but it talks about um, in verse two, there's nothing more beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. And you talk about the stripes by the stripes he was healed and all that stuff. Um, I, I just think I keep going back to this, you know, in verse five, it says, but he was pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our sins. Mm-hmm. And I keep going back to this, but I think it was just a precursor for us as believers today who read that word to know what was to come in the new Testament with the sacrifice of, of the coming son of Christ or the son of God. Um, and, um, if you're talking about it in the context of the folks, you know, in real time that was, was hearing this, you know, the Israelites, um, I wonder what they thought, you know what I mean? Like, I wonder, you know, as Isaiah is making this prophecy, I wonder what their, you know, what their opinion was. They were like, is this guy nuts? Like we've been hearing for hundreds of years that there's a Messiah who's coming. And <laughs> here we are in if for for you biblical historians out there, like uh, there was darkness over Israel for like what four hundred years, Scott, mm-hmm. something yeah. like that, where it was like there was just this darkness, and all of a sudden Isaiah comes along and he's like, okay, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, it's coming, and so like, what do you think? What do you think the Israelites thought in that moment when they're when they're hearing Isaiah for you know give a prophetic word? Uh... I don't know. I think, you know, I feel like when I read the entire book of Isaiah and just kind of the movement where I put myself within the the Israelites, I think that, you know, you go to a time where they have great luxury, even though there's going to be an enemy nation coming to, you know, 
basically destroy them and send them off to captivity. We see God say, hey, you got to straighten up. You got to repent from your sinful ways or, you know, this enemy nation is going to come and crush you. Uh, two, now they're in captivity. And Isaiah is giving a word of not only warning of, hey, here's why we're in this predicament, but we also see the mercy and grace of God. So then when we get to Isaiah 53, I think this is kind of the way of God saying, hey, even though you, my people Israel, have suffered and you have been beaten, there is going to be restoration. There is There's going hope. to be hope. There's hope. And I think for them, that idea of hope and restoration sounds really good at that moment in time for them. It sounds really good. And maybe for them, their hope, they don't know what that entails. I don't think they really truly understood what that entailed. I mean, obviously they didn't because obviously now Jesus is coming around. He's saying, hey, you know, here I am and I'm of my father's business. And, you know, I'm, you know, it's depending on what gospel you read, you know, he's proclaiming that he is the son of God, he's the Messiah. And there's all these things that are pointing to him and you're seeing the signs and wonders that he's performing. And yet there's still people in Israel who are just like, nope, nope, this guy's a heretic. This guy's not, this guy's not the Messiah. Um, and I think it goes a long ways to this idea of, this idea of that, you know, hope is coming and there's restoration that's coming. And maybe they saw it through the eventual of back thinking back in the good old days, in the good old days, you know, the kingdom of David's going to rise again. We're going to have our own nation. We're going to drive out the Romans, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, everyone's being driven out. And we're going to go and go. It's we're going back to normal. <laughs> you know, we're going back to normal. And yet we see this new normal. And I hate to use those words, but <laughs> we see this new normal in Jesus who changes everything. And it's something that I don't think a lot of people really knew how God was going to do this plan of hope and redemption. They probably thought it was going to be like a warrior or somebody from the Davidic line. They didn't think that it was going to be God's own son dying on the cross for them, getting whipped, getting beaten, getting spat at, getting his clothes torn off and sold by lots. But yet that's how their hope came. Their hope came through that. Yeah, I think to the. Um, I think last week it was the episode that we that we dropped last week, but you talked about. Um, you know, once Jesus did come, like just knowing what was going to happen to him and the gravity was going to happen to him. And yet he he enlisted somebody like Judas knowing that was going to happen. Mm. And so, you know, it, I think you said that last week. I don't know if it was you or me, but I'm pretty sure it was you. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the idea of just knowing why Jesus came, knowing what was yet to come and setting up that win makes me think of the old Testament and you know, all those years that those people waited for Messiah, it just, 
it solidified and made it worth it even that much more. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and even, and even that, like, I even think about, and this is something that, I mean, I don't know why. Sometimes I don't know why this blows people's mind, mind sometimes when I say it, but you have to remember that Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, they are making references to what's happening to the Old Testament. And, and, and a clear example of that is, and I mean, the example I like to share with people is Joel chapter 2. I mean, that's what the the last, uh, starting at verse, 20, verse 28, Joel 2, 28, to the end of Joel 2. That's verbatim. That's what Peter quotes at the day of Pentecost, you know? I will pour out, and, and then it goes, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all the people, your son and daughters will prophesize, yada, yada, yada. And yet there's a part of me that goes, well, what happens if we actually read all of Joel 2? And just, I'm not going to read all of Joel 2 for everybody, but just to summarize, we see that there's this army of locusts that's going to come and eat everything, just going to devour everything in its wake. Locusts are just nasty, nasty critters to this movement of turn your hearts back to God. When we turn our hearts back to God, have this time of confession, have this time of holy fast. And then we're going to see the Lord answers. And I love what what the Lord says. And this is Joel 2, 18. It says, then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. Um, and then, and then, I'm going to continue. It's and again, it's this whole idea of restoration. Don't be afraid. Be glad and rejoice. Your pastures, your your wilderness is going to become green again. Um, there's going to be an abundance of showers and rains. There's going to be a threshing for field of grain and vats overflowing with new wine and oil. And it's that word new wine that I hear that intrigues me because then we go back to Jesus talking about, you know, the new, you know, the, you don't pour new wine into old wine skins. You have to have new wine and new wine skins. So I feel like that there's a connection. And then right after we see God's going to basically restore everything, then I, he's going to pour his spirit out on his people. And if we look at that verse and we go, okay, how does that relate to the New Testament? Well, we see Jesus being the restorer of all things. If God's the creator, then Christ is the restorer of all things, of this new creation that we're seeing, a spiritual creation. And then, of course, Revelation, how you want to interpret new creation in that way. And then after Jesus, the new wine, the new oil, the new the bread of life, all that, then that's when God's going to pour his spirit out on the people. And we're seeing that happening in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. So I feel like once we kind of read the Old Testament and we see this, and we go, okay, this is really cool. This is really great. This is going to give a lot of hope. And now we're seeing this play out before the eyes of Israel right now. Yeah. And I, and I think um, for me, that's, and that's what kind of gets me excited. I mean, I could, I mean, reading Acts 2 when Peter is preaching to the crowds about why the Holy Spirit and everything else. Yeah, that excites me. When I read it in context of what Joel 2 is saying, oh man, 
it it it, it just it just it, it like it's like that goosebump feel when something happens or you're I mean, Mike and I are wrestling people, so and we just I watched the Royal Rumble. I didn't have a moment where I felt like goosebumps got on me, where I someone came out and I'm like, oh man, this is great. Like I got goosebumps. Like it's so like nothing like that. Um yeah. at this past Royal Rumble. But I remember when Edge returned, anytime when I watch those clips of him returning after being out for so many years, I still get goosebumps from that. I still get yeah. chills. I still feel the hair spiking up on the back of my neck it just it's 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 exhilarating and i think Mm if we read the bible within context and we really dive deep the bible is really exhilarating and it gives us so much information and it transforms us in it and i think anybody who reads it and and especially as us as we're teaching people these things we hope that they develop the same type of passion for diving into the bible as you know, I do, or as you do. And I think too, like, you know, one other great example is, you know, you talked about how you're kind of bridging the gaps between the old Testament and the new Testament and how, when you get into the new Testament post Jesus, when you get into the Pauline letters and, and James and, and things like that, and um, bridging those gaps. I think another great example of that is um, in the book of Hebrews um, and it's kind of it's debated whether James wrote this or Paul wrote this. <laughs> um, but in but in Hebrews six, um, six thirteen, it says uh, six uh, thirteen through fifteen, and the heading on it's God's promises to bring hope. And I think it's a great word that you said hope was it says for example there was God's promise to Abraham since there is no one greater to swear by God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you and multiply your descendants beyond number. And then finally it says, then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. Right. And so you think about the people in Israel and the book of Isaiah, who are like, who's this, who's this idiot over here uh, telling us that there's a Messiah coming. We've been waiting for hundreds of years. Right. And then it finally happens and you think about the context of the, the, you know, the Old Testament, New Testament and the book of Hebrews right here. And it says, then Abraham waited patiently and Abraham for those, you know, non-theologians, scholars, pastors, whoever, you know, are listening to this. You know, Abraham <laughs> was before Isaiah, right? He was in the book of Genesis at the very beginning of God's word. And so he waited patiently and I said that God provided his need and multiplied his descendants. So, um, and, and even the fascinating, and even well, even in the fascinating thing, right? That yeah, the only hope that Abraham really had was through his son Isaac. Yes, because Abraham and he was, and he was obedient, even in that in, in the text when when God said, you know, you need to sacrifice Isaac, and he was obedient, and that that, that scripture brings me to tears when I think about that because he was willing to give up his only son. And guess what God did? Gave up his only son. Yeah. And it and, just it it just blows me away. Yeah. And 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 it's it's and I think that's the the key thing is that you know, I think when you read the scriptures and just kind of that hope, you know, there's some of you who may be listening today where you feel hopeless and maybe you're you're holding on to that miracle, or maybe you're holding on to a promise that you believe God has revealed to you. And here's the thing. It's not going to come through a charlatan sprinkling gold dust on you. It's not going to come through 
um, all these different things. But what we see time and time again through the scriptures is that when God makes a promise, a lot of times it's through waiting and being obedient and being faithful in the waiting. Um, And I think that's, and I think there's something to be, to be said about that. Um, And I think there's something powerful to be said about that too. And I think, you know, in our Western society, we, we all want the quick fixes. We all want the self-help books. We all want the, you know, we're like instant um, gratification, instant gratification, Baruch salt. I don't care how I want it now. You know, <laughs> so sorry for the Willy Wonka reference, but <laughs> it's stuff like that where it's like, we want it. We want it now. And sometimes we hear even pastors saying, well, if you want this now, these are the things you're going to have to do at a low, low cost of $24.99. And People buy into it because they believe that if they do this, they're going to get the miracle they want. And yet not many people, we don't hear many people say, well, wait on the Lord. It's like, okay, because some people, that waiting may be a day, that waiting may be a decade. But you never know. And the only thing we can do is just kind of be faithful in the meantime and continue to be obedient through the waiting like Abraham. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we can kind of go ahead and wrap it up there. But friends, if you are listening to this, and um, let us know. Are you someone who wants to are you someone who likes to throw Jesus everywhere in the Old Testament? Are you someone who wants to, you know, tackle and see everything through Old Testament lens first before you start throwing the New Testament lens onto the text? Maybe you're someone who's you're hearing this and going, wow, that sounds fascinating. How do I do that? Well, let us know, send us a message, send us an email. We would be love to hear your thoughts and chat with you and, and help you and navigate you through your studies. Um, again, this is something that I know myself I'm very passionate about. That's something that I try to teach my students to be passionate about, um, studying the Bible and doing it correctly um, for various reasons. Um that might be a whole nother podcast on why I'm that way. But uh, yeah, I think this is very important. And I hope that you guys got a lot out of it for those who are listening. So again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and we'll be back on next week with another episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.